notes from the bullets uh, from the bulletin you were handed on the way in, along with a pen or pencil. I believe that there are two kinds of dads. Don't you? There's two kinds of dads. The kind of dad who asks for directions and the kind of dad who doesn't. How many of you are the dads who ask for directions? How many of you dads here today just don't? You know what? I'll get there on my own. Similarly, when we get that package in the mail, we saw the picture online or maybe in the olden days we saw it in a catalog and it was something that we would put together for our kids maybe for Christmas or maybe for their birthday and it looks so great that finished product and all of a sudden we get a box in the mail that's about this size and it has those three words on it some assembly required so you could also say there's two kinds of dads they're the kind of dads that read the instructions when you get the box and they're the kind of dads who, who don't. And so one of the reasons I was so proud of our teens, uh, each of them took at least $20 this week and somehow blessed someone or an organization with that $20. And I told them at the beginning of the week, you pray about how God would have you use that $20. And so uh, near the end of the week, several of the teenagers decided to purchase a wooden play kitchen uh, for the ministry Family Life Services. And so we were able to do Amazon Prime, a quick two-day delivery on that. They also ordered a crib. They pitched in for that also. And so on Friday night when we were there at that carnival, several of the teens were up there on that third floor assembling this thing. And it had those three faithful words on it, some assembly required. After about an hour or so of some of the teens working on it, I went up to check on them, and they asked me to help. I looked at the instructions, and my heart sank. Because I'm not very good at putting things together. I found myself very quickly saying, I wish Christine was here. Because she's a lot better at it than me. But there we were trying to put this together. And I was thinking after that, yeah, I wonder how some of our men would do. There would be the men that say, give me those instructions. And they see it and they get it figured out. And the others that don't. I stumbled across a couple weeks ago a story that Chuck Swindoll tells of when his kids were small. Uh, One Christmas Eve, he got that box, and he had been hiding it for quite a while in the garage or somewhere. And once the kids went to bed on Christmas Eve, he pulled out uh, that box. He opened it all up. He saw the instructions. He wadded them up and threw them away. Well, Christmas morning was quickly approaching after several hours of trying to put this together. And so he dug through the trash can, and he pulled out those instructions, and he noticed some fine print at the top of page one. And here's what it said. Now that you have made a mess of things, please start over and follow these instructions. Isn't that good? Guys, have you been there? (laughs) That's good news. That there are instructions when it comes to some of the stuff that we assemble for our kids and our families. And there's good news when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Did you realize there's an instruction manual for that as well? Sometimes people say that Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. And so we need to read the instruction manual, dads and moms who are here today. And especially when it comes to prayer, it's so important that we read the instructions Because prayer is one of the most powerful tools at our disposal to see this world changed for the better. Amen? So open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to share with you the most famous prayer in the Bible. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. 
It's recorded for us in several of those gospel accounts in the New Testament, but we're going to look at the account in Luke chapter 11 where it's recorded. And I'm calling this message, Five Questions for Parents. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And as you're there, say amen. I'll say a prayer, and then we'll dive in to verse 1 here. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for being the awesome God that you are. We pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, we could spend several months on this prayer. But Lord, we're just going to hit some highlights today, this morning as we're here together diving into your word in this place. So Lord, we pray that you would call to our minds and hearts the very uh, important, most important things that you want us to understand and to implement into our lives. Teach us today, we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Not a very long prayer, is it? Not a very long prayer. Around 34 words in this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. It's usually referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but others have chosen to refer to it as the Disciples' Prayer. Because Jesus specifically gave them this prayer for their use. For them to be able to pray and understand how to pray to their Father in heaven. Remember what we've discovered so far in these first ten chapters of Luke. We've seen that prayer was a top priority for Jesus. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist there in the Jordan River, remember what he was doing as he came up out of the water after his baptism? He was praying. And after he prayed, the Holy Spirit came upon him. It actually wasn't after he prayed. It was actually while he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And once he came up out of the water after his baptism, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and God said, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. After God said that, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And there in the wilderness, Jesus is fasting and praying. Jesus begins his ministry, and we find that prayer is continuously a part of his ministry. When Jesus goes to choose his 12 disciples, he stays up all night long praying to God before he chooses his 12 disciples. When Jesus was up on that mountain with Peter, James, and John a while later, he was transfigured before them, and his clothes were as gleaming as as white. And and, uh, one of the gospel writers says that the clothes were more white than anyone could ever bleach them. He was transfigured before them, and we read that before Jesus was transfigured and appeared with Moses and Elijah, he was praying. And as we go through these last 13 or so chapters of Luke leading up to the final ascension of Jesus into heaven, we find that in other key moments in Jesus' life, he's once again praying. Prayer was a top priority for Jesus. And so in this particular situation in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is praying somewhere. We're not told by Luke where he was praying. 
We know from the, the gospel accounts that there were a few places where Jesus particularly liked to pray. He liked to pray off by himself there in the region of Galilee and northern Israel. He also liked to pray by himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's a possibility that he was praying here in the Garden of Gethsemane months before he would hang on the cross. But if he was there in Jerusalem, quite possibly he was there in the Garden praying. And so he's praying by himself. He's within eyesight of uh, those other 12 uh, disciples. And so after Jesus has his final amen and he returns to the disciples, one of those disciples comes up and asks him, Lord, would you teach us to pray just as John had taught his disciples how to pray? It was common in those days for popular rabbis to form a prayer that they would pass on to their disciples teaching them how to pray to God. And and sometimes you would have this specific prayer that was distinctive to a specific rabbi's disciples. And so we don't have the record of John the Baptist's specific prayer that he taught his disciples, but clearly he taught them at least one. And so some of these guys that were familiar with John the Baptist's ministry came to Jesus and said, John the Baptist did it. Could you do it as well? Could you teach us a prayer that we can pray to God? And out of that question came Jesus' Lord's Prayer that he taught his disciples. This prayer is very short, as I mentioned. It's only here in this account, in Luke chapter 11, only 34 words. But Jesus says more in these 34 words than most men can say in 340 words. It's simple, it's short, but it's so powerful. And I want us to glean this morning out of these 34 words and even what leads into these 34 words, five questions that are important for dads and moms and the rest of us in the room to ask ourselves when it comes to this important subject of prayer. So let's start with question number one here. Question number one is, do you really want to pray? Do you really want to pray? Because Jesus' prayer in verses 2 through 4 is so amazing, it's easy to ignore the wonderful nugget of truth in verse 1. Jesus taught his disciples to pray because they asked him to teach them to pray. In James 4, God's word tells us point blank, you do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you don't ask. I like how the old King James says it. You have not because you ask not. That's a great, simple way to put it. You have not because you ask not. So this first question we should ask ourselves is, do you really want to pray? Ask yourself right now, do you really want to pray? Do I really want to pray? Because, frankly, if you really don't want to pray, the Lord's Prayer is not very relevant for you today. Because the Lord's Prayer was never intended by Jesus to be some rote prayer that we simply memorize and spit out to God when we're together with other Christians or at a specific time in our uh, personal devotions. We just rotely spit it out because that's what we're supposed to do. It was never intended to be something that didn't fully involve our hearts as we are praying it. So this first question we should ask is, do you really want to pray? Realistically, if you don't really want to pray, you won't pay much attention to the Lord's Prayer. It was never designed to be a prayer that we just memorize and recite. 
The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, a prayer that teaches Christians who are hungry for God how to communicate more effectively with God. It's a prayer that teaches Christians who need strength and wisdom and peace how to tap into the strength and wisdom and peace of our Father in Heaven. Amen? So let me ask you, do you really want to pray? On Thursday night, our last night of programming on the mission trip, it was so cool that the the teenagers and Christy and I came in a circle and each of the teenagers were able to share something that they would like to implement into their lives, something they'd like to change in their lives as they go back home from that mission trip. And it was so encouraging to hear several of those teenagers say that they wanted to spend more time with God. They wanted to become better Christians. And so part of that always is to improve our prayer life because we have to be improving our communication with God if we're going to follow Him better. So do you really want to pray? Do you want to tap into God's strength and wisdom and peace? If so, then let's move on to the second question. The second question is, is God your Father? Is God your Father? Notice how Jesus addresses God at the start of the Lord's Prayer. He simply calls Him Father. In Jesus' day... We're used to hearing him say this because we've heard the Lord's Prayer for so many years. But in Jesus' day, starting a prayer with Father, Father in Heaven, was revolutionary. Because the rabbis didn't pray to God that way. They didn't start their prayer with Father or Father in Heaven. And because the rabbis didn't do it, the people in Israel tended not to do it either. And so, this is a revolutionary first word to this prayer as Jesus simply refers to God as Father. So why did Jesus address God that way and teach his followers to address God that way? It's a good question. Perhaps he didn't teach us to pray to God as our friend because we might mistakenly think that God was on the same level as us. Can God be our friend? Absolutely. But he didn't teach us to pray to God as friend because some of us might think that God is on our level. Maybe Jesus didn't teach us to pray to God as our master or our king because Jesus wanted us to understand that God was interested in a personal relationship with each of us, a kind of relationship that a slave master could never have with a slave, a relationship that a king could never have with a vassal. He chooses the word father instead. I like how Chuck Swindoll says it as he writes, Although God is indeed friend and master, and king, and teacher. Jesus instructed us to address God as he does, Father. The title is intimate, familial, and honorific. It recognizes authority, but in the context of a trusting relationship of life-giving love, it welcomes God's offer of provision, protection, and guidance. I think that's well said. There's so much wrapped up in that word Father. And so on Father's Day, isn't it so encouraging to know that for every follower of Jesus Christ, God is our Father. Now, before moving on to question three, it's important to point out that many people mistakenly call God their Father. Many people will say, we are all children of God. And you may not realize this, but the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach that we are all children of God. What the Bible teaches is that we are enemies of God. The Bible teaches that we are alienated from God, that we are outside His family. But through Jesus Christ, 
we are adopted into God's family and brought in as God's children. So if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, if you have made that conscious decision at some point in your life to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life and you've begun to follow him, then you are officially adopted into God's family. As Paul tells us in Corinthians, it's as if we're a wild branch that God grafts into the trunk of that tree. God adopts us into his family if we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can address your Father in Heaven as your Father. He's your Heavenly Daddy, and He wants you to come to Him and call Him Father. Question number three. Is God's name revered in your words and in your home? It's God's name revered in your words and in your home. The first thing Jesus teaches us to pray after addressing God as Father is, Hallowed be your name. Now, the word hallowed is a word we don't use too much today. It's a bit of an archaic word, but it's a beautiful word. That word hallowed comes from the word holy. And so holy, remember, means to be set apart. So when we say, Hallowed be your name, O Father in heaven, That means, God, I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be honored. I want your name to be lifted up on high, higher than any other name. I want your name lifted higher, not just higher than any other name, but higher than any other word in the English language or the Spanish language or the Portuguese language or the Swahili language or the Chinese language. Any language of humankind, any language in heaven, we want the name of God to be lifted higher than every other name. Amen? And so when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that when Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When it says there that Jesus is given the name that is above every name, it's keeping this idea of hallowed in mind. God's name is to be higher than any other. So we should never throw around God's name as a curse word. Most of us would get really upset if someone dishonored our mother's name in our own home, wouldn't we? If someone used your mom's name as a curse word in your house, fellas, I guess you would get a little uh, upset about that, wouldn't you? If someone starts taking your mom's name and dragging it through the gutter, Taking your wife's name and dragging it through the gutter. Moms, someone takes your kid's name and drags it through the gutter. That's going to get your dander up just a little bit, won't it? Just a little bit. I had a moment the other day when I was on this trip. I thought one of the leaders from the other church did something that was inexcusable. I sat my behind in that van and stayed there because I knew it wouldn't be pretty if I got out and had a few words with her. Sometimes as parents we experience that when someone criticizes us or makes fun of us or defames us, you know what? Water off a duck's back. Someone comes after mama, we get a little upset. But somehow, for some reason, our dander doesn't get up. We don't get a little upset when someone says, oh my G-O-D. Or G-O-D, damn it. Or tosses God's name around like it's a gee whiz or a shoot or oops, I can't believe it. God's name should never be brought down 
to the level of any other word in the English language, even down to the level of any other name in the English language. God's name must always be lifted high. Some of us, when we give our lives to Christ, have just had this habit of the oh my G-O-Ds. You know, we, we say it dozens of times every day. And I feel for you because that is a tough habit to break. But God calls you as you follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to break that habit one way or another. It's hard because you say it without even realizing you say it because you said it thousands of times over your lifetime and no one around you ever said, you know what, God's name is supposed to be lifted higher than any other name. Either they knew that but didn't have the guts to tell you that or you just never learned that. It just was a common part of your language, just part of your expressions when you get surprised or excited or can't believe something. But I'm here to tell you today that right there in the Lord's Prayer, in these simple 34 words, right near the top of that prayer, Jesus says, we need to say, Father, hallowed be your name. So we need to honor and revere God's name with our words that come out of our own mouths. And parents, moms and dads, you need to guard what comes out of your family members' mouths inside your own home. And we need to take that and apply that to what we watch on the TV screen or what we're listening to in our music as well. If you're listening to TV shows or watch movies that routinely use God's name in vain, I encourage you at the very least to hold that remote with your mute button handy. We should not allow God's name to be dragged through the gutter in our home by ourselves, by our family members, or even through the media that we allow to play in our family rooms and bedrooms in our home. Jesus said, pray, God, may your name be revered. May it be hallowed in all things. Seems a little old-fashioned, but it's so important as we follow Christ. It's a timeless principle. Always, always, always revere God's name. Question number four. Do you submit to God's agenda for the world? Such an important question. Do you submit to God's agenda for the world? When Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, he is reminding us that God's agenda is so much better than our agenda, right? He's reminding us that God's plans are so much better than our plans. Jesus is saying, your kingdom come. God, I'm not here on earth to build my kingdom God, I'm here to build your kingdom. And if I've got my plans and my ideas and my dreams and they conflict with your ideas and your plans and your dreams, then God, I will gladly scrap my ideas and I will gladly scrap my dreams and I will gladly scrap my thoughts if they conflict with yours. So often we as Christians give each other some lousy advice The secret to happiness is to follow your dreams. And God says, no, it isn't. God makes it clear if your dreams conflict with his dreams, someone's dreams have to be put on the scrap pile. And that comes down to that bottom line question of lordship. If Jesus is truly Lord, Hefe, boss, master of your life, then you always have to put your own dreams on the scrap pile if his disagree with your dreams but you know what the word of god says it's my wife christine's favorite verse in psalm 37 4 delight yourself in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart you follow him as lord and savior and you put him in charge of your life 
and you tell him from the get-go, God, no matter what you ask me to do, whether I like it or not, I will do it because you're the boss. What you say you've planned for my life, I will go forth with your plans because you're the boss. If, if my uh, dreams conflict with yours, I'm going to go with your dreams, God, because you are the boss. Jesus says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Which leads us to this conclusion that rattles a lot of Christians. The purpose of prayer is not to get my will done in heaven. The purpose of prayer is to get God's will done on earth. And I offer my life as ground zero for God's will to touch down on earth. Does that make sense? Prayer is not about getting God to fulfill my will in heaven. It's about getting my will to conform to God's will here on earth. And as we pray, thy will be done, we offer ourselves and say, God, here I am. I'm ground zero. If you want to do something on earth, I allow you to start doing it in me. If you need someone to do something that you want done on earth, I allow you to use me. There's so much power in these words, your kingdom come. God, I want your will to be done. I want your kingdom to come, and I want it to start inside of me. I want your kingdom to live within me. I want your will to be carried out within me. God, here I am. It's about you. It's not about me. Question number five. Do you take your daily needs to the Father? Do you take your daily needs to the Father? Some Christians think that it's selfish to ever ask God for health or a job or for a car or for food. But Jesus teaches us to go to our Father with our daily needs. Notice he doesn't teach us to ask for our weekly bread. He doesn't teach us to ask for our monthly bread. He teaches us to go to him each day and say, God, here are my needs for today. Could you, Lord, meet them? And God, guess what he does each and every day? We as his followers as his sons and daughters go and ask him to meet our needs what does he do he meets them doesn't he he's so good at that he's so good at meeting our needs it was so cool i was talking to the the director of uh, family life services last week sweet lady that loves those moms and those kids they minister to and she was sharing a story with me that reminded me of george mueller uh, i've shared a little bit about george mueller in the past with you he was the a pastor that was in the 1800s in england and he decided to start an orphanage, and he set out to start this orphanage and minister to, to orphans, boys and girls, but he would never ask anyone for a dime to pay for the expenses of that orphanage. He would simply pray and ask God. And so he wanted to help these orphans, but he said from the beginning, my number one purpose in starting this orphanage is to show Christians that God still answers the prayer of faith today, just like he did in New Testament times. And so there were times they were sitting at the dinner table and didn't have any food in the house. But it was dinner time. And so they would sit down at the dinner table and begin praying for their meal. And as they prayed for their meal and said amen, there would be a knock at the door. And there would be some guy driving uh, the milk wagon or whoever it might be. And, hey, we've got this extra bed or bread or we have this extra milk. Could you guys possibly use it? And they would say, praise God. They'd bring it in, put it on the table, and eat dinner. And so as this director of Family Life Services this last week was telling us about the life of their ministry, she was sharing that there have been times when the exact same thing happened at their house. There they were initially in the early years of this ministry having orphans live in those homes and on that property. 
and here in the last few decades have transitioned to single moms and their kids, but there have been times in their ministry where they would sit down at dinner time around the table, and there was no food on the table and no food in the cupboard, and they would simply pray as they always did every day for their meal. And before that amen, there was a knock at the door, and someone brought them food, enough for every single child and adult in that house. Isn't God awesome? And sometimes we as skeptics are, tem- are tempted to say, ah, they're making this stuff up. Uh-uh. It happens far too common in far too many places in far too many times to say it's just chance or something dreamed up in some creative Christian's mind. We serve a God that meets our needs when we come to him with our needs. You see, one of God's characteristics is generosity. He is a big, big giver, isn't he? Have you discovered that in life? He's a big giver. He loves to meet needs. So if you have a need, take it to your Father in heaven. He takes delight in meeting the needs of his sons and daughters who love him and trust him and obey his word. Have you ever heard someone say, well, when all else fails, pray? What a terrible thing to say. Pray in all things. Amen, friend. You don't use prayer as a last resort. Well, nothing else works, so I might as well pray. I've got nothing to lose. That's not what Jesus teaches us. He teaches us at the start of the day to go to God with the needs of the day. And I think he would probably agree with this statement. He would like us to go to the Father with our needs before we ever start talking with other people about our needs. We go to God first, not as a last resort, because God loves to meet needs. He's not a last resort. He's our first resort. When we have needs, we go to God first. When we need answers, we go to God first for advice. When we need forgiveness, we should go to God first to ask for forgiveness. Notice what David did. He said, Lord, would you forgive me for my sin? He had sinned against Bathsheba by committing adultery with her. He had killed her husband. But first he had to get right with God before apologizing to the others that he had offended and sinned against. First, we go to God when we need forgiveness. When we know temptation is coming, we should go to God first to ask for protection against that temptation. I wonder if when we get to heaven, we will discover a huge room the size of Costco times a 100, filled with blessings that were never sent down to earth because we didn't simply ask God to meet our needs. I wonder if we'll look at this vast expanse. I remember I went to Ikea last year. We needed a desk. And I thought, man, this place is huge. So where do we pick up our stuff? And then you follow all these little arrows that take you down to the, the, the sub-17th floor, whatever it was. You know, this thing is, And we go down, and it opens up into this warehouse. The warehouse where you pick up your stuff is the size of a Home Depot. And that's just a fraction of the size of that whole store. The place is huge. Imagine something 100 times that big filled with blessings that are never sent down to God's sons and daughters because we didn't ever ask for those blessings to be met. I wonder if there's a room like that in heaven. We have not because we ask not. On this Father's Day 2019, let me ask you. Number one, do you really want to pray? Dads, I hope you do. Moms, I hope you do. Singles, I hope you do. Those of you who are grown and have lived through this life and for one reason or another you never had kids, 
That's what God called you to do. I'm asking you the same question. Do you really want to pray? Teenagers, I'm asking you the same question. Do you really want to pray? Question number two. Is God your Father? Have you chosen to put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life? If you haven't, you are not a child of God yet. Not yet. But you can be even this morning. If you make that conscious decision to repent of your sins, to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of your life. Number three, is God's name revered in your words and in your home? Do you lift his name up higher than any other name? Do you submit to God's agenda for the world? Question four. Do you submit to his agenda for the world? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. And number five, do you take your daily needs to the Father? We all have needs. And Jesus Christ says that our Father in heaven is the great need meter. And he will never, ever make you go without something that you truly need if you go to him in prayer and simply ask. He never promises to meet all our wants, but he promises to meet our needs as we follow him and we live for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for this Father's Day. Lord, I, on a day like this, think about my own dad, who had some wonderful qualities, but in many ways he fell short. I look at myself, Lord, as a father of four, and I think I get it right a lot of the times, but in so many moments I fall short. But Lord, on this Father's Day, we mostly look to you as our Father in heaven, who, unlike any of us, you always, always, always get it right. And we thank you, Father, for loving us perfectly, for judging us perfectly, for teaching us and modeling for us how to live and how to speak and how to prioritize perfectly. We thank you that your plans are better than our plans. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your dreams are so much better for us than our own dreams. Thank you, Lord. And help these dads, especially in this room today. Lord, help them to follow you with all their hearts. Help us to lead our families well. Following in your footsteps for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say,